Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, fans, as you know, the Super Bowl is right around the corner now. So if you're looking to place a bet on any of the sports going on, football or otherwise, betonline.ag is the best and really the only place to go to lock it in. It gives you more options to wager than any place online, and there is always the online casino, of course, as well. That never closes. So go ahead and check out betonline.ag today. Take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Hey, gang, especially you Mets fans. Mark and I with a great guest for you on this episode, the captain. David Wright is with us. Mark, you know, for 14 seasons, David earned the admiration of fans, players, media alike. And I know we're both really excited to talk with him, not only about his career, but what he's been up to. Mike, such a great career. And you look at it, it was derailed with injuries at the end of it. And his ascension and the numbers he was putting up were Hall of Fame worthy. And unfortunately, injuries uh, affected the rest of his career. But man, was he thought of from the Mets fans. This was arguably the best position player in Mets history. David, it's great to have you with us. And we are so thrilled that you're able to spend a little time with us after what was a wonderful 14-year career, fresh into retirement. Let's go back to City Field in September of 2018, your final game as a member of the Mets. We saw what we saw as fans, but take us inside what was going on with David Wright that day. I don't know about fresh into retirement. I didn't play much my last two or three years. So, you know, a lot of fans, and a lot of people would say it happened a lot sooner than that. But, um, you know, that, that, that last night was pretty special. And, um, you know, I've said it a million times. I tip my cap to, uh, to the organization, to ownership at the time for allowing me to go out there one more day and say goodbye to the fans. That was the first time I got a chance to play uh, in front of my two daughters at the time. You know, so it was an emotional, special night for me. I pulled up to the parking lot around noon. There were dozens of fans already waiting, carrying signs and, and applauding as I came into the parking lot. So getting a chance to just, uh, I guess, embrace the relationship that I had with that city and that fan base for so long meant the world to me. And, you know, I just wanted to thank everybody involved, including the fans, the organization, the city, for allowing me to kind of one more time go out there and man third base. David, what a great story it is, because uh, growing up as a Mets fan, um, Norfolk, Virginia, you, you you have the minor league team there, which we've heard you say plenty of times, but growing up there and being a draft pick of them, and then that culmination at the end of, of being thankful to the fans, but the admiration from all of the fans that particular night, that's what resonated with me, um, and a special moment that I think you deserve, but giving back to... Uh, the fans is pretty important to you. We've always heard that. Special moments are really what makes it extra special. And let, let's start with even the first pitch with your daughter throwing it out. Uh, first off, the cutest girl I've ever seen. Uh, and she's out there throwing the first pitch to you. What was that like uh, uh, being a dad in front of that big moment? Well, thank God she looks like her mom. So uh, <laughs> you know, I think that the, the build up to that was actually the best part was that she was two at the time and, you know, we lived in a apartment building in New York and, you know, we'd go down and, you know, I try to get her to practice her throwing and half the time she would throw it. And the other half, she would just run around and I'd have to go chase her and grab her. So 
you know, I was hoping that we got a bit of a throw and not the run around <laughs> Olivia where I had to go run through city field and chase her and grab her and have her throw the first pitch. So uh, I was proud of her. You know, uh, I'd like to think like her dad, when the lights came on, she shined the brightest, but um, you know, I was, I was a proud dad moment for me and uh, just a great way to kick off a great night. You know, what was cool too. I thought the final speech, and it's gotta be tough on guys. We hear it from fellows who go into the hall of fame, even it's like, well, it's one thing to play in front of 50,000. It's another thing to stand there on your Island, basically with a microphone and address that same audience. What do you remember about that experience and how'd you feel? Well, the toughest part is the game lasted what seemed like six hours. We went into extra innings and I looked up in the stands and my daughters are melting down because it's like midnight and they're typically going to bed hours earlier. You know, so I, I had more time to think about what I was going to say. They said that they, they told me they wanted me to say something at the end of the game. And that just put more pressure on me. If the game would have ended after nine, I like to just ad lib and freestyle it. But, you know, the more time I had to think about it, the more thoughts got in my head that got jumbled as I got the microphone and I couldn't get out much, uh, but it was from the heart. And I just wanted to, to, to say a big thank you and that I appreciate. I mean, and these fans have watched me grow up from, I made my debut as a 21 year old kid from Virginia. Uh, my second time ever coming to New York was my debut and they embraced me as, as one of their own, embraced me as a New Yorker. And that's an honor in itself. So I, I just wanted to say thank you and that I appreciated the fan base and the organization always having my back, seeing a lot of struggles, both as, as a team and as me personally, as a player and, and always coming back and, 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 and rooting me on and, you know, always just having my back, I guess. David, interesting aspect because you go through the line, you hug, do the hugs, you, you finally get that emotional um, re- relaxation going back into the locker room and you can collect your thoughts but immediately they send you up to the, the press box, which I thought was really cool because this is something that obviously you have to agree upon. But there are so many fans that are watching that game that can't be there. And I, I thought it was a classy move by you going up there with Gary Cohen, Keith Hernandez and in full uni, which yeah. I thought was awesome. Uh, tell us about that and what went into that thought process. So It really was. You know, they asked me if I'd be willing to you know, go up to the booth afterwards. And I said, yeah, no problem. But I thought that, you know, I'd, I'd get a chance to collect my thoughts a little bit and, you know, kind of uh, relax a little bit because it was emotional for me. Uh, you know, I, I get to my chair in the locker room and then all of a sudden Jay Horwitz, you know, PR guru, the best, uh, you know, the best grabs me, whips me upstairs. And I, I still got dirt stains on me. I'm still sweating. Uh, you know, I probably smell, uh, no, no Jersey switch or nothing. So I'm going up there just completely sweaty, dirty, get into the booth. And then obviously Keith starts giving me a hard time and, you know, in a loving way, uh, you know, it was just a a great time. And I'm walking through, it was almost like American Legion ball where you're walking through the stands, you know, in your full uni, I wanted to order a hot dog and and a beer on the way. I didn't have time for that, but uh, you know, straight to the booth. And then I got a suite for my family and friends that actually just coincidentally happened to be right by the booth. So I stopped in there for a little while after that said hello to some friends and family that came in town. So it was was just a cool, magical night, you know, walking around in full uni, you know, high-fiving fans, uh, you know, signing some autographs, taking some pictures. It was a really, really neat ending. Kind of like when you're a little leaguer and you're going to the restaurant after the game in your uni, right? You feel like such a big deal. All of a sudden, it's David, (laughs) and people are going, is that really David Wright in the middle of City Field in his uniform? Yeah, it was, I mean, it really was comical with walking through the stands, you know, full uni, uh, I did take my spikes off, so I wasn't clank clanking, you know, all over the concourse. But uh, you know, really, really cool. Just 
you know, high five and almost like a, you know, a bit of a victory parade where you're getting a chance to just soak it in and, and high five and all the fans on the way to and from the booth. So that's 2018. Let's dial back the clock to the very beginning. As you mentioned, uh, you're drafted in the first round in 2001, but you get called up fresh faced 21, 22 year old kid, July of 2004. What do you remember about getting the news? You were going to the big leagues. Who told you what transpired and who'd you tell right away? Well, it's, 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 it's cool. As you mentioned, I'm, I'm from the Norfolk, Virginia area. Our AAA team was in Norfolk, Virginia. I got called up to AAA for about a month. So playing in front of, you know, my friends and family, playing in front of my hometown that, you know, to this day, I kind of beat my chest that, you know, it's, it's a relatively small area, but it's produced some really good athletes, uh, baseball players, football players, basketball players. Uh, you know, so, so I took a lot of pride in putting on that AAA uniform and representing, because my dad was a police officer in Norfolk, used to take me to the games as a kid, uh, you know, some of the, the off-duty police officers trying to uh, earn some extra money would do work security and give me a foul ball or let me meet a player or something like that. So to come full circle and to be asking for those players' autographs and then a few years later on the other side signing autographs for kids was, was, was a neat moment for me. And our manager was John Stearns, who was one of the best guys ever. Uh, his nickname was Bad Dude. And he <laughs> took great care of me as a younger guy, he didn't allow me to get engulfed in sometimes some of the bitterness of triple of A guys thinking that they deserve to be in the big leagues and they're, they're stuck in triple A. So he took good care of me. So about once a week, he'd call me in his office and we'd go over some of the good things I did, some of the bad things I did, some things I could do to, to be better. And, you know, I, I, at the end of every home game, I signed autographs until pretty much every kid was gone from the stadium. So I come in, I shower up. So it's gotta be, you know, hour, hour and a half after the game. I shower up, I'm packing up my stuff to go home and Stearns, he calls me in. So I don't think anything of it. You know, I think it's just another, you know, state of the union type deal. Hmm. So, uh, you know, I go in and, and he looks at me and he kind of gives me that smile and, and Stearns, he's a character. Now he told us that this was our, our, our treat. If we won four in a row, he would allow us to watch his highlight video of him playing college football. <laughs> that was our treat for winning four in a row. So Stearns, he was a character. So he gets up there and he just kind of starts smiling a little bit. And I'm like, yeah, hey, you know, maybe, you know, what's going on here? And he just says, hey, you know, you're going to the big leagues. And he stands up and gives me a great big hug. And, you know, one of those moments that, that obviously I'll never forget. And then from there on, it's just, for me, it's, it's panic mode. It's trying to call my family to tell them, which I was living at home, you know, at the time. I was, I was literally sleeping in the bunk bed that I grew up sleeping in, uh, in, in AAA. You got a first-round pick that you know, has a couple dollars in the bank that's living at home in his old monk bed. So I'm calling my parents. They're excited. Uh, you know, my friends are excited. They've, they've, I've, I've texted them, you know, I'm trying, now I'm trying to figure out, you know, I, I need a suit to get on the plane. Cause that's the big thing is you're apparently you need a suit to, to fly to New York. So I get my dad's old suit, you know, that's like, you know, fat guy in a little coat. You know, I don't want to bust the buttons off of. And I got the first flight out the next morning from Norfolk on a little prop plane. Um, and, um, you know, flew up there and, and flew right over Shea Stadium. We landed at LaGuardia, dropped my stuff off at the hotel right next door to, to Shea and, and went over there and saw the Snow White number five hanging in my locker. And it was, you know, to this day, you know, one of the best, uh, best days of my life. David, 21 years old and you're walking into a major league clubhouse and you just said it, which I think is, is a vision that every player that gets to experience this always envisions and it, it impacts him so much. How did that impact you when you saw your jersey hanging in your locker? Because this is the big leagues, this is New York, 
and you're 21 years old. Take us into to what that was like. So fortunately, I was one of the first ones there because I took an early flight. So I got to the stadium early. I wanted to make sure I had all my equipment and everything set out. I didn't want to be rushed. Um, so I get there and I'm, I'm probably the first player there, thankfully, because it was like a teenage girl Instagram moment where I was like putting my uniform on and looking in the mirror and like, you know, just like all different outfits. <laughs> awesome. Uh, you know, I didn't know what number I was going to be either. In spring training, I was 72. And that was like one of the big questions is I don't care what number they gave me, but yeah. um, I, I couldn't wait to walk in the locker room and kind of see which number was hanging in my locker. And, and, and number five was there. And, you know, kind of from that moment on, I realized that, you know, they just don't hand out single digit numbers to anybody and that, that the, it almost put a little more pressure on me, but made me feel like I was going to belong that at least the equipment guy, Charlie Samuels at the time gave me a good number. Mm -hmm. So that he, he believed in me and I think it helped me believe in myself too. But it was for a good 30 minutes or so, all I was doing was looking at that jersey at every different angle and trying it on and just, you know, it's because it's a lifelong goal that you've just accomplished, but yet it's just the beginning. You know, it's, it's such a, a, an unbelievable goal, but now you want to stay there and be the type of player that you want to be. And David, you, you go in there into a locker room that had a lot of big names. I mean, when you're playing for the New York Mets, even any big league team, you're going to have some a presence in that locker room. Do you remember who came up to you and impacted you the first time? Because uh, that's a moment that I think you'll never forget as well. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it. I mean, you're talking about walking by Mike Piazza's locker to get to mine, walking by Al Leiter's, Johnny Franco's, uh, Mike Cameron, Cliff Floyd. Um, you know, those, got all, those guys took such great care of me. Joe McEwing, you know, I had a, a bit of a relationship with him before I got called up and, you know, he told me, Hey, here's where you're going to live. You're going to rent the apartment next to mine in long Island city. Uh, we're going to drive to the field every day. And I remember driving to the field and literally taking notes on how to get from the apartment to Shea stadium so that I didn't get lost if I ever had to do it on my own. Yeah. And Joe, you know, we, Joe would get to the stadium hours early, you know, to start his routine. So, you know, it kind of, implemented that type of routine into me um you know kind of the first there last to leave mentality but those guys made me feel so it, it, was, it would have been easy for the veteran guys to kind of leave me alone it would have been an awkward feeling had they not accepted me the way they did and made me feel comfortable I mean Johnny Franco one of the first days I'm there throws me a washcloth and you know I'm not sure if I should say this or not but it's like you know, wash my back, rookie. <laughs> so I'm in the shower washing Johnny Franco's back one of my first days in the big leagues. Um, you know, in, in, a, in a fun, you know, kind of, he knew that I could take it and yep. just, you know, in an awkward way, made me feel more comfortable around those guys and on the field because they were giving me a hard time and, you know, making me sing on the bus and, and um, you know, having me go get coffee for him and stuff like that. So it, was, it, it, it allowed me to feel a lot more comfortable. So, so here you are, you're wearing number five, uh, George Brett, Brooks Robinson, David Wright. At the time, is David Wright, 21-year-old David Wright. The captain of the team, Franco, has you washing his back. You don't know down the line you're going to be a captain uh, next. I can't imagine the pressure. And then you got to sing, as you point out. Um, so you're immersed in this big league environment right away. But all the while, I mean, look, you're under pressure to produce. You remember getting your first hit, you had 1,777 of them, your first hit, your first home run, any of those items stand out to you? For sure. I went over my first game and you just felt like the world is caving in on you. You're like, oh, for four, they're going to send me back down. You know, so thankfully the next day uh, we were playing Montreal 
at home. Uh, I got my first hit a double down the left field line. Uh, and that just kind of allowed me to breathe a little bit and just kind of play baseball. Um, yeah, I got my first home run the next series. We went to Montreal. So I hit my first home run in Montreal. Uh, there was about a dozen fans there and one of them made an unbelievable catch in left center field, like hanging over the railing to catch, you know, my first home run ball. So, um, you know, just, just cool moments. Uh, you know, my first road trip, again, I had no idea what to wear on the road trip. And, you know, I go with some old jeans and, um, you know, Johnny Franco taught me that you just need a sport coat. So just wear nice pants and it doesn't matter if the sport coat matches or not, you just hang it over your shoulder and just carry it. It looked like you had one. So I was like, all right, I'll do that. But then I get there and I, I wore flip-flops with my jeans and a co- I wore a college shirt, thankfully. And, you know, the, I got some free shoes out of it because the veteran guys took me out and bought some shoes in Montreal. But, you know, it's just learning those types of little things, being a big leaguer. Um, I'm thankful to that veteran group for, for giving me a hard time and teaching me how to not only act, but act professionally. Yeah, it's that old school mentality, right, that, that uh, you get nervous about. But when you pass the test, uh, that is something that's a, a reassuring moment. And you feel like a big leaguer. And mm-hmm. also, listen, these guys are just testing you, but they've been tested. Yeah. So it, it, it really was okay. Some guys had a tough time with it. Um, let's dive into uh, playoffs because at 23 years old, you're in New York, you're playing for the Mets, and you make your first playoff appearance. What was that like? And take us through the, the evolution of going into the playoffs for the first time. I remember the night before, you know, we clinched relatively early. We had an incredible year in 2006 we we you know we, we clinched early so we knew it was coming so we had time to prepare I guess as much as you can as a 23 year old for the playoffs I remember the night before I couldn't sleep um you know I get up around you know it's like 11 or 12 o'clock at night and I just take a walk around the city and I'm kind of soaking it all in there's Mets flags everywhere people are still out and about Mets shirts Mets flags Mets hats the whole nine yards and it you know I didn't realize the intensity of playoff baseball until I ran out for warmups uh, game one against the Dodgers in 2006. Um, you run out, they're playing welcome to the jungle. The place Shea stadium is packed and the upper deck. If you look at Shea and the music starts pumping and people start yelling, it looks like it's swaying a little bit. And that's when it hit me. It was like, man, this is, this is intense. And I think it hurt me for a little bit because Derek Lowe was pitching and he could have thrown the rosin bag up there, my first at bat, and I was going to scream. I mean, I, I'll, I probably corkscrewed myself into the ground. But after that first at bat and after I hit, got my first grounder hit to me at third base, it was like, okay, settle in. And, um, you know, we played well against the Dodgers, but I'll never forget running out to welcome to the jungle and that place going bananas. And it's like, wow, okay, this is playoff baseball. Well, you're 23 years old in 06. You guys go back in 15. You're a veteran at that point, bouncing back from some injuries. Did either playoff run uh, impact you differently or perhaps more so than the other? I didn't appreciate 06. Um, I thought we, we had a young nucleus, a young core. And my attitude was like, okay, we're going to do this every year. You know, we got Jose Reyes. We got Carlos Beltran, Carlos Delgado, you know, Paul LaDuca. I mean, we just had a roster that was just full of superstars. So my thought was that, ah, you know, we, we came a couple runs short of going to the World Series in 06. We'll be there again in 07. So 15, I actually sat back and appreciated it, maybe largely due to my, you know, injuries and it was kind of the beginning of the end for me. So I appreciate it a little bit more. I tried to soak it in a little bit more. Um, and that was just a magical run in 15. We went from basically a 500 team to, you know, we, we traded for 
for Ioannis Cespedes. He went on a tear like I'd never seen before. Um, we get to the playoffs. We have a emotional, crazy series against the Dodgers again. Uh, you know, we end up beating them, um, you know, go on and sweep the Cubs. Uh, you know, it's just a magical run. And, um, you know, I, I really got to sit back and, and appreciate that and soak it in more because it had been nine years between playoff appearances. And I knew that, you know, this doesn't happen every year. David, you, you talk and mention this, and, and it's not about the injuries, but it's it's persevering through all of those adversities because everyone has a story, right? Uh, but you persevered to get back because you knew how important that moment was. Uh, did that help you just grinding out at the end of the year, getting those games in, but also feeling a part of it again? Because sometimes you're detached when you have that injury and you're on the disabled list. And it feels like, you know what, you're an outsider a little bit. Uh, what did that mean to you? Did it help you to know that you grinded it out? Even when you were hurt, you had to go through this with all your teammates. For sure. I mean, I think that's one of the hardest parts of being hurt is that you nailed it, that you know, you feel like an outsider and those guys did an incredible job of they'd FaceTime me on the bus or FaceTime me, you know, in the locker room, um, you know, before batting practice, just to kind of keep me in the loop with, you know, who's acting stupid and who, uh, you know, who's getting made fun of that day, you know, stuff like that. So, um, you know, I, I felt like I was a bit of a part of the team because I was doing my rehab. I had my surgeries out West. So I was doing my rehab out West with the, the surgeons, physical therapists. So I was really away from the team. Uh, and we made some trades at the deadline, you know, Kelly Johnson, Juan Uribe, um, I think Tyler Clippard, uh, Sess, obviously. So yeah. I was meeting a lot of these guys for the first time in person in, you know, when I came back off the disabled list and I knew that I was going to be taking playing time away from Juan Uribe, from Kelly Johnson. And I didn't know how that they would take that or the team would take it because we were playing well. And I told Terry Collins, you know, immediately I said, hey, you know, I'll play whatever role you need me to play. So don't feel like you have to insert me in the, in the lineup every day or, you know, play me more than you want to play me. If these guys, you know, play the hot hand, you know, I want to win. And, um, you know, those guys were so gracious and, and, and I'll forever be thankful the way that they accepted me back. You know, I'd been there for more than a decade, but, you know, I felt like I had to earn my place again because we had so many new faces and we were winning and we wanted to keep this thing going and we wanted something special, not just me to show up and, you know, it to be all about me or, Wait, no, 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 don't go in there. Have you ever talked to your TV? He's right behind you. Yelled at your TV. Ugh, stop, stop, stop. Alexa, pause. Well, now there's a TV that listens. Alexa, find movies about smart people. Okay. Introducing Amazon's first hands-free TV. The Dolby Vision screen looks great. And built-in Fire TV puts your content just a voice search away. The new Fire TV Omniseries from Amazon. Ah. <sighs> Space documentaries. Or, or Terry trying to coddle me instead of putting the best lineup out there. Folks, we're going to get back to the interview in just a moment, but we just wanted to remind you that with this new year comes a ton of new big games in sports. And with those big games, you need big stakes. I know Mark and I do anyway, and Kansas City Steaks has the cuts that you crave to celebrate the playoffs and, of course, the big game. You visit KansasCitySteaks.com slash game day, save up to $25 on those combos. They're perfect for game day. Plus, you get free shipping with code 
believe at checkout. That's B-L-E-A-V. You use that at checkout. You can try out the snack pack combo featuring those small plates with a big flavor, right? Mini beef Wellington steak burger sliders, mac and cheese melts, shrimp wrapped in bacon. Fantastic stuff. You know, every order is flash frozen, delivered directly to your home. That's what I love. You don't have to leave the house. Comes right to the door. Satisfaction's the guaranteed for you. And you get your money back if you don't like what you get. It's really that simple. Basically, every cut of steak imaginable, plus appetizers, desserts, barbecue, and so much more. Again, you go to KansasCitySteaks.com slash game day. Use the code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, at checkout, and you get free shipping. Kansas City Steaks, big games, big taste. That was a remarkable uh, fact that you were able to make it back on the field, I think, at all. Every Met fan and every baseball fan appreciates the perseverance you showed. Stellar career, David. 14 years, seven-time All-Star, including five All-Star games in a row from 06 uh, to 2010. Uh, Was there any particular year where making the All-Star team meant more to you than perhaps any other? Well, I mean, anytime you get you get a chance to beat out a Chipper Jones or a Scott Roll and two of my idols, you know, was huge for me. And, and it was like pinch me moments when, you know, you, you see the all-star team announced and you're playing third base over the guys that you look up to and guys that, you know, are Hall of Fame caliber players. So um, my first all-star appearance was incredible, you know, for some unknown reason major league baseball asked me to participate in the home run derby in pittsburgh and um, you know i'll never forget the last words that were spoken to me before i got on the flight to go to pittsburgh was cliff floyd telling me to not embarrass myself and just hit one just try to hit one and you know i went there and and uh you know put on a pretty decent show lost to ryan howard which no shame in that but um you know then my first at bat in my first all-star game i hit a home run off kenny rogers so uh you know that's probably the one that sticks out most um you know, but playing in an all-star game at home at City Field uh, in 2013 was uh, Matt Harvey on the bump and, and, and starting third baseman for uh, the National League out on your home field was obviously special as well. David, let's talk about uh, gold gloves because I think this is extra special. Yes, you get a lot of notoriety because of your offense, the numbers you put up. But going out there night in and night out and playing defense and then also being rewarded with that, it's interesting because I'll I'll take our listeners into this. Um, We just had Jim Hughes, the longtime Rawlings uh, gold glove guy that is retired this year. And and he's on our podcast, which is kind of the inner works of, of baseball that it's those relationships that you develop along the lines. Also a good buddy of yours, uh, Stevie Cohen. It's not Steve Cohen, the owner of the Mets. It's Stevie Cohen. And there's a huge difference because this guy is one of the characters. A lot of zeros at the end of the other Steve Cohen. Not so many (laughs) zeros at the end of the other Steve Cohen. Exactly. (laughs) This is a guy that uh, makes everyone laugh as soon as he comes in. And back then it it was a little laxed, right? He'd come into the locker room, have a lot of fun with you. Um, but the Rawlings Gold Glove, to get back to that, extra special moving forward when you ha- earn that opportunity to have that award. What did it mean to you? Well, that was one of the things that I was always self-conscious about was my defense uh, coming up in the minor leagues. Um, you know, the organization, I felt like every other week was sending a infield rover in to work with me, you know, do early work. And it, you know... I knew that I was making some stupid errors, but, you know, having the, the, the Rover come in pretty frequently to visit you <laughs> kind of puts it in your head that you kind of stink the defense. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I think that 
putting in the work and, you know, I played below average defense, probably my first, you know, in the high minor leagues and, you know, my first year, two years in the big leagues, but then to turn a corner because I think of that hard work that I put into it and to win the gold glove and, um, you know, something that I'm, I'm very, very proud of because of the work that, that was put in. Um, you know, I'll never forget, I think it was my first gold glove. Uh, Chipper Jones went on record and kind of bashed that, that I bashed me for winning the gold glove. And, you know, we're in a fantasy football league together. So I was like, Chip, you couldn't just say it to me. You had to say this publicly. Come on, man. You know, like, let's go clean it up a little bit. But he's, uh, uh, you know, he, he was awesome. And, um, you know, I was really, really proud to, to win those two gold gloves because of the work that I had put in. And, you know, obviously, you know, the, the guys that I beat out to win that. Yeah, and you you win two of them, but also uh, your good friend Ryan Zimmerman takes the the one away from you when you went through those injuries. What was that like? Because you you grew up with him, as you mentioned those those athletes that you you spent time with. He ends up getting the gold glove. What would that what that feel like to you? I know, I know, I know. It hurt. It hurt. <laughs> it definitely hurt. But I I got the last word because I played third base my entire career, and they moved him back over to first. So you know, I, you know, I told him take that Zim. But um, you know, I think that. Uh, you know, you mentioned it. I think that's what pushed us. Uh, you're talking about a travel team growing up that was uh, myself, Ryan Zimmerman, uh, BJ Upton, Justin Upton was our bat boy and would practice with us. Mark wow. Reynolds, that was our infield uh, on our travel team. And and I think that showing up to practice every day, um, it pushed us because we all wanted to be kind of the guy that college coaches were going to come see or scouts were going to come see. Uh, and we're all very, very close. But every practice, every game, you know, we wanted to be the guy on that team. And I think it pushed us to, to levels that we didn't understand at the time, but looking back on it is the reason that a lot of us were successful at that level. David, this is something that's interesting that a lot of listeners haven't heard, but it's playing with your peers, which you always develop those relationships as you, you play against them. Uh, the all-star teams that you mentioned, you have an opportunity to play in two World Baseball Classics. What was that like for you? Because uh, you, you were anointed the Captain America, which I think is, is really cool. But playing with your peers uh, for the United States, what did that feel like for you? Uh, I mean, it was one of the biggest honors of my career. Um, obviously, being named captain of the Mets is probably first. Uh, but getting a chance to you know, play in the World Series and participate in the World Baseball Classics um, were huge for me. I never got a chance to play for Team USA as an amateur. Um, so getting a chance to put that uniform on, and you hear the cliche all the time, but the USA across your chest, it's just a, it's a feeling that can't be described with words. Um, and then on top of that, you know, your locker's next to, to Derek Jeter's. Um, you know, getting a chance to learn from one of the best to ever do it. Um, you know, managers are Davey Johnson, Joe Torrey. I mean, it's, it's the best of the best. And to represent your country and play those meaningful, great games uh, early on in spring uh, were some of the highlights of my career, especially beating teammates on the other side. That was always cool, you know, bragging rights in spring training when you got back to camp. David, interesting that you just mentioned, you mentioned Derek Jeter. Uh, both of you wear a C on your jersey, which is is really uh, something that's extra special. It's not uh, like uh, hockey, so to speak. Uh, it, it's unique circumstances that you earn. Um, what was your relationship with Derek Jeter? Obviously, in New York, you, you know that uh, there, there's, there's something with that. What was it like for you uh, um, spending time with Derek Jeter? Well, he got, he probably got annoyed, annoyed with me in the world baseball classic. Cause I was stuck to him 
you know, like I was attached at the hip, uh, you know, so getting a chance to, I mean, I, I loved following him around to see his routine. And it, it was amazing to me. He stuck to his routine every day, whether he was playing or not playing, whether it was a spring training exhibition game to get ready for the world baseball classic or like a world baseball classic game. I mean, I, I'll never forget. Um, we were playing in Florida. We were playing like a tune-up game before the world baseball classic and Derek wasn't supposed to play. Uh, he went through his whole routine and he felt like he needed some at bats. So he asked to play the last whatever, three or four innings of a meaningless spring training exhibition game to get some work. In. And you're talking about a, you know, a, a first ballot hall of fame or, you know, Derek Jeter asking to go into a spring training game to play the last three or four innings to get some at bats, to try to feel better heading into the next day. That, that to me was like, okay, this is why Derek Jeter is Derek Jeter. So he's, he's everything that you read about and more. And, um, you know, I learned a lot from him, not just baseball wise, but routine wise, leadership wise over the course of those couple of weeks playing with him in the world baseball classic. I think some of our listeners think that, uh, you know, the impact that a guy like Derek Jeter has in your career, it's the stars. Uh, sometimes it's not necessarily the stars. It's the people that you relate to the most. Uh, one guy I want to mention that we haven't yet is is Michael Kadire. Mm-hmm. Um, one of your uh, closest friends, you grew up with him, you, you, you understood what he meant to you, but he also was in a Mets uniform. What was that like for you guys? Well, that was awesome. That was awesome. That was the guy that he's four years older than me. So he was the guy that I looked up to as a as a, as a younger player, he was from my area. He was drafted in the first round by the twins. And I remember I was at school the day that he got drafted and, you know, they stopped school for a second. They came on the loudspeaker and they said, you know, Michael, congratulations, Michael Kadir's just been drafted. I think it was ninth overall by the Minnesota twins. And like the whole school stopped and started cheering. I was like, that is the coolest thing that I've ever heard. You know, if Michael Kadir can do it, why can't I do it? And it just pushed me and motivated me that much more to be the next Michael Kadir. And I've always looked up to him for the way that he carried himself for the type of teammate he was, you know, and he was all that and more when he played with us for the one year, he, he lost his job to Michael Conforto, a young Michael Conforto that year. And he was Michael Conforto's biggest supporter and would go out with Mike, take him to breakfast every morning, take him out in the outfield and work with the different bounces of the different stadiums. He lost playing time to a young Michael Conforto, but yet still pushed to try to make Michael kind of the player that he is now. And, and that was like, an eye-opening moment because a lot of guys would be bitter or sour, you know, not Michael. He kept pushing on and certainly was one of the best teammates and, and, and people that I've ever played with. David, uh, again, uh, along those same lines that uh, when we do this podcast, a lot of guys talk about clubhouse guys, um, uh, bullpen catchers. One of your best friends is Dave Racanello, who I got to meet in spring training with the Mets, uh, ended up getting released out of spring training. But those are the the glue guys that are around that I don't think listeners understand. It's it's the reality of, okay, I have to talk to the media. I have to be a certain guy when I go out there, and I have to go four for five every single night. But it's the communications and the, and the, the friendships that you develop in baseball. And Rack, as he's known, is, is one of those guys that was very important to you. Could you speak to that relationship? Yeah, so Rack was – he threw me my first round of BP. He's been there forever. He threw me my first round of BP. I got drafted in 2001. I mean, obviously, I didn't know Rack, but I went up there, and I, we found some old pictures, and he threw me my first round of BP at Shea Stadium. And then I made it a point to – I wanted to play catch with him before my last game at, at City. So he threw me my first round of BP, and we played catch 
warming up uh, before my last game. You know, certainly one of my best friends, the best man at my wedding. Um, and he's a guy that we're, you know, roughly the same age. And, um, you know, he, he was one of those guys that could sense kind of what I was feeling, feeling. We lived together for probably my first seven or eight years, um, in New York before I got married and my wife kicked him out, (laughs) Um, you know, but he was one of those guys that like on the car ride home or the car ride to the stadium, you know, it'd be like a bit of a therapy session where it's like, if I'm struggling, like he knew kind of what, not that what I wanted to hear, but what I needed to hear Mm -hmm. both ways. And he kept me, he kept me grounded. He kept me level. Um, you know, and you know, he wouldn't be afraid if I was getting too big of a head to, to knock me down a little bit. And it was, it was a, it was a tremendous for me, you know, relationship and a a guy that, you know, is extremely close friend, you know, to this day. And, you know, I owe a lot to for, you know, really kind of taking me under his wing and, and showing me the ropes of big league life. Yeah, he's been there over 20 years, which is really uh, r- remarkable. Um, that position, as we touched on at the beginning of our podcast, in your last night at City Field, there he is. As soon as you're going into that yeah. uh, that opportunity, uh, he's there to give you that big hug. Yep. Yep. I, I thought that was a, another cool moment because it set those inner works. Also, one guy I don't want to uh, not mention is Jay Horowitz. Uh, he basically grew you up in the in, in the game of baseball. Uh, can you tell the impact in what Jay Horowitz uh, did for you throughout your career? Yeah, if there was a if there was a Mount Rushmore of Mets, Jay would be on it. I mean, he lives, breathes, eats, sleeps Mets baseball. Um, he was always one of the first guys I'd always stop in his office when I got to City Field. His offices were kind of right when you came in. So I'd stop there. We'd talk for 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, you know, and then he was always one of the first ones after a game to either give you a big high five if you had a good game and you won or give you a pat on the butt if you had a terrible game and you lost. So um, Jay is a dear friend. Um, I talk to him regularly. And, um, you know, one of the best people that you will ever meet. And if you cut him open – he would bleed orange and blue. And I, I really, really mean that he's a, you know, tremendous guy, the best at what he does. And, um, you know, it, there, there's no bigger Met than Jay Horowitz. Well, he puts out a book called Mr. Met. You better be Mr. Met, right? right? <laughs> he is, and he For, is. So when he puts out his book, how did that work? Did he motivate you to do the same? <laughs> you know, I guess it's one of those, uh, uh, you know, boredom COVID things. But, uh, you know, it's that that's actually a lie because Anthony DiComo approached me right after my <laughs> last game and said he wanted to do something. It kind of caught me off guard. I was like, what? Who wants to write a book about me? And I'm like... <laughs> You know, you're, 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 you're crazy. So uh, I, I had fun with it, though, because, you know, as, as you know, I'm sure Mark can tell you, you know, you don't ever get a chance to live in the moment, I don't think. Uh, you know, you're always looking forward to the next challenge. Or you're always, you know, even after a good game, you know, you're looking at, OK, who's pitching tomorrow? Let's start preparing for tomorrow. So getting a chance to relive, you know, some of the, the better moments of my career, um, you know, whether it's somebody else telling the stories or just thinking about what I was feeling at the moment was kind of cool to capture it, put it in a book. And, you know, and some of the coolest things were going through the pictures, not just of my childhood, but you mentioned Rack, uh, our bullpen catcher, took pictures my final month, I guess, you know, final road trip to Boston, um, my final flight on the team flight. Like he took these random pictures. I was like, what is this guy doing? And then he made like a little book collection for me you know, at the, at the end. And it was kind of cool to relive some of those, those moments and memories of, of being in a Met uniform for the 15 years. Any, pictures in, any pictures in the book of uh, those Georgia Tech bed sheets and any, any ah. feelings of regret for not uh, taking that letter of intent? 
But I thought I was big man on campus at high school when I signed my letter of intent with Georgia Tech. You know, we had a big signing party and my parents bought like the, the black and the yellow balloons. And I wore my, you know, my Georgia Tech hat and walking around school. You know, I thought I was I thought I was the big cheese that day. <laughs> What's interesting in, in going back to Rack, too, and taking all those pictures, that guy's incredible shape. He's run two, uh, two New York marathons. Uh, he has hiked uh, Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, it, this guy is unbelievable. So you want to sit there and go, dude, do you, I mean, can you get in the lineup? Because, man, he, he's in great shape. He's never changed. His greatest athletic uh, accomplishment might be, we, uh, I backed him, but I think it was K-Rod, Francisco Rodriguez, or somebody bet him that he couldn't ride his bike from my apartment in New York City to spring training to Florida. And he couldn't sleep in hotels, so he had to sleep in a tent. And he made it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's craziness. All right, so you, you got the book out right now. You're, you're raising three babies. Uh, you're hopefully feeling very, very good physically. The Mets have new ownership. Uh, it's a whole different world. So for all the Mets fans and all of us around baseball, I think we're all very curious, David. What's next for you? You know, I'd like to, to stay involved at some level um, with the Mets. I enjoy being around younger players. And I think a lot of that has to do with the way that the older players took care of me. You know, so I'd love to, um, whether in a mentorship role or an instructional role or a little bit of both, um, you know, work with some of the, the younger guys, whether it's in the minor leagues or even in the big leagues to um, not necessarily become better baseball players, but I'd be there to, to help them with that. But, you know, how it is to play in New York, how it is to prepare in New York, how to have a routine to make good choices. Um, you know, I think that that's a, a big thing. Um, you know, so I, I, I'd like some sort of role. I'm not sure what kind of role yet, but, but hopefully, you know, I'd like to stay involved kind of on a part-time basis. Cause I just love being around the game. I love talking the game, um, you know, and uh, you know, I think we're going to have a good team. I think most importantly. So I think, uh, you know, it's going to be fun to, to root them on and, um, you know, be a Mets fan from, from afar. David, it's interesting. I, I think you, you just mentioned it, the new ownership, but also a new team. Uh, you, you just got the, the new news, uh, Francisco Lindor mm -hmm. and Carrasco come over from the Indians. How excited are you for Mets baseball? You understand how important it is uh, for them to win a ring. Uh, are they, are they ready to do that in your opinion? I think so. I mean, I think anytime you can put Lindor and Carrasco in a Mets uniform, that's a pretty good start. Uh, you got McCann behind the plate. Um, should have one of the best bullpens in baseball. Um, you know, hopefully Noah um, is recovering well from Tommy John. Um, you know, I expect a bounce back season from Steve Matt. So you're talking about, you know, the, the, the top of the rotation is solidified with Jacob deGrom leading the way. Um, but even the depth that we have at the bottom of the rotation, um, you know, should, should, you know, be in pretty incredible pitching staff, both starters and relievers. And, you know, you add a, you know, a Lindor and, um, you know, Pete Alonzo at first and a, and a Dom Smith coming off a great year, uh, Jeff McNeil. I mean, it's top to bottom. This team, at least on paper, looks great. And I'm sure they're not done, um, you know, adding. So, uh, you know, it's an exciting time. And, and again, you know, I'm, I'm as big a Mets fan as anybody. So, you know, I'm excited. Well, your 14 seasons in New York will never be forgotten. Always appreciated as well. Seven-time All-Star. Now I guess I got to throw author on your <laughs> resume. So make sure everybody out there goes and picks up a copy of uh, David Wright's book, The Captain 
a memoir. Great pictures as well. Something very cool to check out. David, from all of us involved in the podcast, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Oh, thanks for having me. That was fun. You know, anytime you get a chance to scratch that itch talking a little baseball, you know, I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Well, we appreciate it. Best of luck. Stay healthy. Best to the family. And we'll see you down the road. Thanks, guys. Much appreciated. Thanks so much for checking out Major League Beginnings. If you had as much fun as we did, we hope you'll go ahead and hit the subscribe button where you usually download your podcast from. It could be Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you like. We're just glad to have you aboard, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.